Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst from Faster Skier. The Tour to Ski has wrapped up. We've got recaps of the last two stages. No guests, just me and Devin going old school style. We'll be back. Uh, World Cup restarts in a couple of weeks. We'll be back before then to take your questions giving you some answers in a mailbag episode. So if you've got questions that are burning that only Devin or weirdly I could answer, email us, Devin, D-E-V-O-N, at fasterskier.com, and Nat, that's N-A-T, like Nathan, at fasterskier.com, by next weekend, and uh, we'll do our best. Thanks for joining us. We will be back in a minute. Lighter. Better faster. The new Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a bi-directional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with the new Speedmax boot, Fisher's Speedmax Helium Skis keep you staying stronger during your next long ski and can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the new Speedmax Helium system at fishersports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. I'm glamping right now. To, to catch listeners up on your life, basically, you got you live in you live in Lillehammer, you go to Oslo every week to uh, become a doctor, and you got right. home last night, got sat down, well, opened the door, microphone in hand, ready to record the podcast, and yeah. you know, put a jacket on. No, no, the, the whole, no, that's the weird thing. Apartment, toasty warm. Oh. The heat has been on. It's been about 20 degrees in here. Toasty and great. Come in. And I'm not here all week, uh, but I'm back and forth from the Little Hummer quite a bit. So this is kind of a crash pad that we have in Oslo. So walk in. It's been incredibly cold, like record-breaking cold in Oslo, in the capital of Norway. And I come in. Apartment's warm. I'm like, oh, this is great. The heaters and everything works. Go to wash my hands. No, I didn't. No water coming into the taps, folks. So then, then I had to postpone this uh, tour de ski recap because um, trying to panic mode the um, the kind of like the um, what would it be called like the uh, not the chairman of the board because this is a but you know what I mean like the the head of the chief um, operating officer exactly of the whole thing and we still haven't come up with a solution so. <laughs> but anyway, what is a solution? The tour de ski is over. And if I feel, if I sound a little subdued, it's only because I'm super pissed. And I don't know how to fix this. And all plumbers in all of Norway or all of Oslo are like, you call them and they laugh at you. They're like, uh, yeah, maybe like Friday, man. Like, have you seen the weather? I'm like, yeah. I have. So we're, we're across our fingers that pipes don't explode everywhere. And I mean, total if you want more timely podcasts, what you can do is find a plumber in Oslo and send it to, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put Devin's address in the uh, comments here and, and yeah, you know. please, please. Yes. I mean, you know, if you're a plumber in Oslo right now and you want to help me with this disaster, I'd be more than willing to uh, accept your help. But anyway, let's, let's, uh, let's get into it. You can, um, you can introduce it. It's just, it, this is a real OG episode for folks. So, I mean, it's, it's just Nat and I kind of struck out with some, with some guests because, People that have been racing are all traveling to various locations last night and today. So, yeah, we just thought we'd just recap it old school. Yeah. So we got 
the uh the end of the the tour de ski has ended and we've got uh two days worth of racing from last weekend to recap starting with mass starts in Val di Fiamme which um man it really looked like uh where were we it looked like the it looked like the the mayhem in davos just uh just continued in uh in val de Fiam, uh just with crazy snow rain mixed mixed precipitation uh that that i don't know i mean it didn't really seem like anyone had big meltdowns but it did not look like exactly like a nice day to <clears throat> be out on the trails in in the sun in northern italy by any means no absolutely it was a ribbon of snow in northern italy um well, the ribbon of snow is for the Marcia which is the big loppet race that's happening in a couple of weeks here. And the race trails in Val de Fiamme, and there was no natural snow anywhere until, of course, the day before the, <laughs> the final stages of the Tour de Ski. And it was heinous. It was, I felt like it was more heinous conditions for the men than the women. A lot more heavy, heavy snow, but, but still didn't look like the nicest day to be out, to be out skiing. I think we can start with the women. I, I I tip my hat to those women that really tried. I mean, like Frida Carlson was out there drilling it, trying to make things happen, but you could see the athletes really struggling with this, with the skis, the speed on the skis. And what I mean by that is like the people in the front had no chance to get away from anyone else. And it made for incredibly difficult conditions. And I don't know. I thought there's some heroic performances though, honestly. So the race was won by Lynn Spahn. Everyone knows that we were Monday morning quarterbacking as you guys are used to. She looked great. She looked great all day on that Saturday. Technique was perfect. And you saw it when you saw that such a big group, especially on the women's, the women's field on such a difficult course, you knew this was going to come down to a sprint. You knew that fairly early on. And when Lynn Swan looks as good as she did, you you knew that uh, she was going to be the one to beat. And she was, I thought Frida Carlson who tried quite a bit. I don't know if you were noticing that, but she was trying. Oh, yeah. Quite yeah. A and, and, and looking around being like, where are the rest of the distance skiers, be, uh, you know, to help me out trying to like pop some of the others off of this group, like maybe Jesse Diggins, who looked like she was a little bit on the ribbon for a big chunk of that race and impressively managed to hold on. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was really interesting. I mean, she didn't look that great in Davos and Classic, but she probably had like those were horrendous conditions. And then she also her technique was not what it's been all year long, but she's just so much fitter than the competition that it had very little to say. I mean, I was really surprised, but I mean, of course, this is where we get a whole lot of hate mail and stuff. But um, Diggins really was fighting, fighting really, really hard, but the group was so big that had she not been in that group, then she has a fever or the world's worst skis. Because it's not like women around her or like in 15 or that far back. And Jesse Diggins is so much better than that big field that was able to come into the finish with. So even though body language, technique, I was worried when I looked at everyone else around her and how everyone else was skiing and the names of the people, I'm like, there's no way with these such slow conditions and such a disadvantage to be leading this thing. There is absolutely no way that Diggins is going to get dropped by this. Yeah. She looked awful. She did, but, but there's just no chance she'll get dropped. So uh, she hung in there. She hung in tough and really pulled out another, like quite a solid result in classic 
given the circumstances and solidified like quite a big lead coming into the final climb. So I thought it was, uh, yeah, it was well done of, of Jesse. She didn't make it look pretty. That's, that's for sure. I mean, she wasn't Lynn Swan with uh, perfect technique and low shoulders and feeling like this is not a big deal, but, um, yeah, she was definitely did what she needed to do to hang on. And it was on the flip side, moving all on, moving on. It's like, Rosie had a bit of a tougher day and that's, what's funny. Hey, like she's 12 seconds back since when in a 15 K a long 15 K is 12 seconds back a tougher day. But, but Rosie has just shown such prowess in plastic this season, especially that, especially on a course like this. I mean, I, I was fully expecting Rosie to be fighting for the podium, like in most classic races. And she, she, she had a solid day, no question, but, but was just at the back part of this uh, kind of bigger leading group. And I think, and aside from that, I mean, I just, I, I thought it was cool to see Henning on the podium again. She's so good. Henning is so good in Val de Fiem. She won last year in the same race and has struggled a bit with equipment earlier on in the tour and coming back from illness, a lot of people being sick and locks up a podium, which was wonderful to see. And then, and then Victoria Carl, who's been really a, another great story of the season, the, the uh, German, younger German, well, she's not young, I guess. Anyways, but like now, I mean, she's... 28, 29, but um, seventh place, great performance by her to show that she's just ahead of Jesse there at the finish and, and uh, had a had a great race with, with skis that were working. So I think the women's race was actually pretty exciting, all things considered, in challenging conditions. And, and um, but like when but Sophia Lockley, who is, let's be honest, not the world's greatest classic skier, is 23 seconds off the win in a race that's 54 minutes, it's hard to get distance on people because nothing against Sophia Lockley. She will talk about her in a second, but in a distance classic race, Frida Carlson and Sophia Lockley, you cannot compare. You can't compare them. And yeah. yet they essentially have the same race really. And, so it was and, a big group. We couldn't get away from anyone. Well, and they're also, I mean, at this point, we could talk about this a little bit more later, but they're, they're 31 finishers, 31 women's finishers of that stage of the tour to ski, which is, actually kind of bonkers you know uh another another before we move on to that though like we will absolutely bookmark this this we got actually some great messages from some listeners that wanted us to talk about this and we, we were going to no matter what like this is a crisis for cross-country skiing like what's happened the last few years in the tour de ski and when there's championships we've been so readily and easily shining it away by saying yeah well people are really managing their energy and it's the championship that matters the most and and they're really working on this and like okay people are really taking care of their energy Th this is the crown jewel of the year there is no world championship this year this is it and if you want points if you want to even compete in the overall world cup the points you get from finishing the tour regardless it, it, they matter and and yet people are very quick very, very quick to pack their bags and go home. And this, this makes the tour de ski kind of a parody and it's too bad because the tour de ski is nothing compared to what it used to be as far as like how quote unquote hard an event the tour de ski is. This is two weekends of racing and a couple races midweek. This is not the nine stage grind racing city sprints in Prague, driving six and a half hours to another venue. All of these are championship venues where you have 35 kilometer races, you have 20 kilometer, 30 kilometer. This, this is not that tour. This, this is normal racing and cross country skiing and this 
really, really have to look at this and the teams have to look at this because if this continues, this will be the death. I mean, we're, it's like I'm witnessing the fall of Rome. I mean, cross-country skiing is on thin, thin ice when you have 30 finishers in the Tour de Ski in a year that's a championship season. It, it's not good. I just, I just want to um, say you're definitely putting out a get-off-my-lawn vibes this morning. <laughs> I know, you know, I don't know why, because like I have no water over here. I'm camping <laughs> in in Oslo. I'm, I'm a little aggravated. I slept like I tried to have, like space, not space heaters, but like construction heaters on pipes and stuff last night at like twelve thirty a.m. and it wasn't working. So I'm sorry. I'll clean it up. I'll clean it up. But I I think we will we will come back to the we'll come back to the situation because I or maybe not. We'll just do it now. I mean, I don't know what you think. I was going to ask you. For me. I think this just shows again that there needs to be a profit sharing model in world cup cross country skiing. There has to be incentives because like, you know, the whole carrot and sticks, like how are we going to force teams to like have people finish one? If you're sick, if you are unhealthy, of course you stop. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's the tour to ski, if it's an individual race, if, if it's training, I mean, health comes first period. So for the athletes that had to stop because of health problems, I mean, that's, that's, that's always going to be what it is. And you can't compare this to the Tour de France. The Tour de France is way longer, way harder, but happens in July, which upper respiratory illness is quite a bit lower in July than it is right around the holidays. There's a lot of people traveling in the holidays as well. So there's a lot of people traveling in July as well. But but regardless, so th these athletes are at their peak shape, most susceptible to illness. And there is an immense amount of respiratory infections everywhere so not surprising a lot of people get sick that said i think there had so back in the days like the get off my lawn as we continue to get off my lawn rant back in the days this was like super hard it was like you want your points you want your individual points from the stages you've meddled or like been on the podium in and stuff like that then you have to finish the tour or else you lose all points if you drop out of the tour you get you you have zero points which is actually kind of crazy that's insane so i raced I, I raced one season, I think I was seventh or fourth or seventh or something in the last standings for this 20K, or it was a 30K back then. Anyway, in Val de the classic race. And I had a fever of 40 on the start line. I had two craft tops, or I wasn't craft, but like two um, long underwear tops, buff, it was plus three. And I dragged my carcass around, around that course, like got shelled just fit just to finish because i was going to drag my butt up that hill to get the points because I'd been that's, on the that's, a, that's a fever of 104 for folks that are yeah not, uh, it was i was i was very very you. sick and, and because i'd been on the podium a few times previously in the tour uh and i didn't want to lose those good results and those points which which are helpful for red group and and also my world ranking which so that was ridiculous of course like that or not ridiculous but that was a that was that that, that, that was a pretty hard decision by fist to be like listen if you get sick too damn bad you drop out you lose everything that said now i think maybe we sung a little bit too much the other way so so one solution i was thinking of is like what about you had that you have to finish with 80 percent if you sorry if you finish with 80 percent of your start field per nation you get a payout if there truly is hundreds of millions of people watching this thing then FIS gives you a payment, your team, like the, the federation, a payment of 
10,000 Swiss francs or 20,000 Swiss francs that they can use for the next events in Oberhof, in Gomes, to help offset some of the costs because the costs are skyrocketing and it's affecting these smaller teams, which has been a big topic of, topic of discussion in the last few years. So I think there has to be some sort of incentive and I, I, the best the best solution I can think of, it also, it also quote unquote forces the teams to, to think a bit more critically of who they're going to pick because they're like, okay, you know, like if we want to load our team with a bunch of sprinters that are going to drop out after the sprints are done, then we're going to lose 20,000 Swiss francs or whatever, whatever you end up having as this incentive. It's like, well, you know what? We can, we can, a couple sprinters, our best sprinters, of course, will come to the tour, but then, then they can drop out, but then we'll maintain this 80% if things go well. Or as far 50%. As yeah, or whatever, or exactly. But and then it also doesn't penalize smaller teams, right? So yeah. it's not like the finish with seven people like that. That's ridiculous because Norway is like nice, sweet. Well, that's no big deal for us. Whereas like Canada's like, oh my god, we're looking under the couch cushions for a seventh person to start in the Tour de Ski that can make it under the time limit. So, but I, I think it comes down to money, and I think you have to. I think it has to be profit sharing if you want to make this tour. If you want to build it back to the to the glory event that it is. I think you're going to have to do that. And I didn't want to bring this up, but now we're just on a total rant. This is making decisions that it's not a hundred percent. This problem. I mean, this doesn't control who drops out of the tour to ski that just so that said, but, but having 30 women finish for multiple years now is, is a, a crisis for your marquee event. Nothing short of a crisis. The other thing though, is like the most important world cup, in cross-country skiing is Homenkollen. And next year in 2025, there will be no Homenkollen. What? Like, I, I can't even begin to just, like, what are we doing? And then their argument is, well, you know, last year there was under 30, it was like barely any women that did the 50K. So people don't choose to do it because they're saving their energy and this, that, and the other. It's like, oh my God, the one race that, that means something on the World Cup calendar as an individual standalone race is the home and colon. There's 70,000 fans that come watch it every single year. It's a huge deal. There's history. Yeah. We're just going to skip that. Like these aren't solutions, people. This is making the product of cross country skiing, not just worse, but it, it's, it's putting in a life support knowingly. And I, I, I struggle with it. Drawman's gone too. the best, the best city sprint ever that's out for next year too. So these are decisions that I think we really have to look as a community and be like, Oof, do we like where this is going? And we'll get back to the tour to ski. Now it starts with the tour to ski and the finish well, and how many people are finishing. Even the men's well, field, the men's field, the joke too, at the end, let, this let, is stupid. Let's, let's separate out. I mean, I, I, it is a, it is an absolute tragedy. What, what is going on with the Holman Cole and 50 K. Um, and uh, it's and, unacceptable. And I think that has to change. It, that has to change but, now. But but leaving leaving that aside, I actually have kind of a different take on on the tour. Like, I, I mean, yes, would it be better for there to be more than 30 women's finishers, 50 men's finishers? Yes. I think the flip side of of this is I, people weren't dropping out that were in contention for the overall. And the races like I felt like this was actually one of the best and most interesting and exciting tour de skis to watch and i felt like there were actually many facets of the race organization and execution and production 
like I felt like they were doing stuff with the TV production. We had like great drone shots, great production. We had like there were some new like graphics with the virtual time back and and stuff like that that I felt like was good. And so I I don't know. I mean, I feel like on on the spectrum of problems for this that like they actually and and we had good uh, commentary on the on the stream for the U.S. with Keegan and Chad. Um, two two things that I've been thinking about. One one was um, it, like I do think it makes sense. It makes total sense to provide like some either carrot or stick to keep teams and keep athletes in the races. Like particularly, I mean, I don't think you emphasized enough that this year it's like what else are people saving themselves for? You know, there there is no World Championships. There is no Olympics. Like. There's nothing else. And tour ski, like there's an insane amount of money on the line. And that gets me to my other point, which is like, I do think that, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear from the athletes about this, but I think that like the way that they distribute the cash money for tour to ski prizes, if, if you look at it, it's like, I think it's like kind of uh, a little, it feels a little regressive where <clears throat> if you win the tour, you get, 80,000 Swiss francs, which is like $80,000. Uh, and, and the prize money for the overall tour goes down to like 20th place. So think about that. Two thirds of the women's field got paid out, which is, I think, I mean, great the way it should be. But um, but then you win an individual stage of the tour. Like like think about that. So, so Jesse Diggins made $80,000 for being the first woman to the the. The, well, not the first woman to the, the top of the Alps or Mies, and we can talk about that too, but uh, for being the winner of the overall tour. Sophia Lautley for winning that stage, getting all the TV time, et cetera, yesterday, she makes $3,000, 3,000 Swiss francs. Second place is like 2,000 and third place is 1,000. And then it it's fucking stops there, which I, is like crazy. How, you know, like how do we... Uh, sell off a couple of chunks of those Gruyere cheese and like pay people better. And I, I like, I think, you know, there's clearly, I think there's clearly some room if we're paying out $80,000 to the winner. Um, there's clearly room to talk about and think about like, could we be distributing the money that goes into and comes out of this event in like a, a more equitable way for the athletes, but also a way that, you know, could also like incentivize slightly different outcomes as far as the number of people participating and sticking it out. So anyway, I, you know, we can, we can kind of divert back to our, to the, to the men's race here, but um, I don't know. I actually, I, I was kind of thinking about that stuff a lot, watching the, watching the races and seeing the results and prize money payouts. Like, yeah. Um, but maybe we, <clears throat> maybe we move to the men's distance race from Val de Fiam. Um, and yeah. So much like the women's where you couldn't get away and you were not, it was not at your advantage to be leading this thing. The men's race was this full on snowstorm. The women's race was kind of on and off and not looking like the nicest day to cross country ski, but it, it wasn't stable either, but it was more stable than the men's race. At least the men's race was just a full on snowstorm over wet track. So most people went with rub skis or, or hairy skis. And, and what, I, what is that? It's essentially the lower cambered, like soft classic skis with no hard wax, no clister, nothing. And just you sandpaper the base and you put a bit of product into that sandpapered part in the middle to keep the hairs. That's why they're called hairies <laughs> to keep like the little microscopic hairs that are sticking out after you've roughed up, roughed up the base. And, and that's what you're using as grip wax. And, and the entire field was using these skis. 
uh, maybe not the entire field, but the vast majority. I mean, I was watching and talking to some technicians of various teams and I mean, it was a no brainer. You're using rub skis. Uh, there was no point leading. You saw it was a chaotic affair because often while we're more used to seeing the women's field blow to smithereens because they're just so freaking tough and it's just gun to tape is the way to go. The men usually are a little more tactically oriented and, and don't mind skiing in a bigger pack earlier in the race before, before the fireworks happen. This, this was a done deal before the gun went off that people essentially looked at this race as a transport stage. And that's fine and good. I mean, Volnes wins his first distance race of his life uh, on the World Cup level because, uh, in large part, because of this, because he was able to save his energy after a couple hard stages. He was said in the media too that he was feeling tired and blasted, especially after that huge effort in Toblock in the 20k skate that he put down. Uh, and this one, he could just ski zone two the whole way and then just position himself ready for the final sprint. That's what he did, and, and one in very impressive double polling finish. Uh, so hats off to, to Valnes for his first win. Um, Porma gets a silver after just the fiasco that was his classic skis in Davos. Um, so that's fun. A little feather in his cap. He made a lot of, you know, incendiary comments about how Bathlon sucks compared to cross country skiing. And he got a lot of flack for that. And then at the finish line, he pulled a Alex Harvey in 2011 or a Petter Nortug also in 2011 by putting his fingerings to his mouth, kind of hushing the critics uh, as he crossed the finish line of this one, uh, but a great performance. But the person that made the race the, 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 for the podium, the person that really made it happen was Cyril Fenley, who was perfectly positioned and opened the sprint at the bottom of that hill with about 600 meters to go, like I was talking about with Diggins, it was a 20 second effort, essentially 20, 25 second effort. And he was the one that got the gap that was enough to stay away. And he secured the podium by that move. The move was huge and so gutsy and so inspiring for the young Swiss athlete, the brother of Nadine Fenrich, who we've seen win multiple World Cups secures his first podium by doing that and, and took the risk <laughs> and the risk stayed off. It was, it was amazing. And, and uh, hats off to him because in such a chaotic race, there was a lot of guys around him that could have been that person. I mean, it could have been Halverson. I mean, he has all the experience in the world. I mean, he had a solid race. He ended up seventh. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but he has those kind of, he has that kind of gem. It could have been Nienga. He has that kind of gem. It could have been so, I mean, Hogstrom, who's a sprinter. He's down in 17th. But he's only 13 seconds back. It could have been him that launched it, even though he's also inexperienced compared to some of the other names I just mentioned. But so I love when an athlete like Steven Fenwick takes a chance, it works out. And then in hindsight, not only does it work out, but if you're one of these kind of like up and comers of the World Cup circuit, you're not the patron setting the pace and everyone watching you. You take a flyer. And not only you take a flyer, but you, you make the race, like you, you make it happen. Hats off to that. And the Swiss team was so thrilled at the end. I thought I always love that too. We can talk about that with the climb here soon, but I mean, I just love when these smaller teams, like it, it's really a team victory and, and it's, it's not nothing to get a world cup podium in distance racing uh, on, on the men's side or women's side for that matter. So it was, it was a, it was a fun affair. Other than that, I know you really want to jump in, but like other than that, like I thought the whole race, it was just so predictable and it was a total, total zoo. You had, well, you had the whole field, you know, you had, well, not the whole field. You had 51 athletes, let's say, 
because Angit and uh, Grindin, like at the end, 50th and 51, and like they just, and on Scott Evans, they just kind of shut it down up that last hill. They were there till the last hill, and then they just kind of went, they just kind of skied on home, but they were all there. So you really only had three athletes that weren't able to hang in this group of the entire men's field. That never happens. This was a gift from God if you wanted to get a great result. But the cost of that gift is that it's a total clusterfuck and equipment is exploding everywhere There's so many broken poles a lot of falls a lot of falls that were like completely unnecessary because inexperienced athletes aren't used to skiing late in the race when they're tired around all these bodies and i mean tony sear got caught up in a fall broke a pole fell you would have thought that this would have been a great race for tony it, it has been in the past he ends up 41st he's only 20 he's in the group i mean he's 21 seconds back he's in the group completely broke a pole apparently got taken out or like not taken out necessarily, but that's his words uh, by by the winner Eric Baldness a little earlier in the race, where where the space was limited and not free, and people were falling all over the place, breaking their equipment. So that's the cost of a, a race like this. But there's nothing else to do when it's snowing so heavily. Um, I just had a couple other things about uh, Cyril Feindrich. Uh, dude had never been top ten in a individual Stark World Cup race before. He's on the podium. Uh, I, I mean, I thought that move, it, I, it looked like he was going to win the race for for a hot second. And I mean, you knew Valnes was there, but like some of the guys, I mean, he he just sort of sidelined some really legit dudes. And uh, it just was like you're watching it on TV being like, who the, who the fuck is that? Where did that come from? And, and then I wanted to just uh, remind folks that he actually... Uh, Cyril Feindrich was over in Bend, Oregon at the beginning of this training season uh, at the U.S. ski team camp at the invitation. I think it sounded like Luke Jagger led the way for that uh, that kind of cross-border pollination. But um, I guess it sounds like some of those American guys have been buddies with, with Cyril for quite a while, and we're pretty stoked to see that result. So... This podcast is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup Society, organizers of the upcoming Coupe Fist Cross Country World Cup in Canmore, Alberta, February 9th to the 13th, 2024. Hey, Nordic ski fans, get ready to elevate your visit to Canmore with complete VIP experience package. You got to picture this VIP suite, indoor and outdoor access, fully catered meals, behind the scenes experience, and this is a big one in North America because we have horrendous public transit free parking from a bird's eye view to this reserved finish line access this will be the nordic experience of a lifetime so limited spots are available book your tickets at albertaworldcup.com a reminder that general admission tickets are free and all are welcome plan your visit at i repeat albertaworldcup.com and you have no bigger hometown booster than me camera alberta most beautiful venue on the world cup get your butts there and under the shadows of the beautiful Rocky Mountains, cheer on our athletes. Yeah, I think we move on to the um, to the Alps or Mies, uh Yeah, and let's start with the men. Well, can we start with actually another question here, which is, sure. um, I think they made this change last last year, and they um, they used to run this race as a pursuit start based on the overall tour to ski standings, and so the real drama of the television production and the storyline for the, for that, for the climb up the, up the hill was always, you know, is whoever is leading the tour, like 
are they going to hold on? Is someone going to catch them? And this time of the day, winner of the day was always sort of a secondary subplot that you'd have to wait until the race was over to actually see what happened. They changed that. So now it's a mass start. And now like you're watching athletes ski away up the hill, but it's actually like, they do have like live timing and GPS to sort of see who is where on the course and like what the overall standings are. But it really kind of kills the drama of, of the overall result, which I think actually could have been pretty fun for the women's race. I, I, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of willing to say, you know, it, it's it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other, because who knows, like you could get stuck in a year where, you know, the men's race, the the overall tour, like Amundsen was two minutes ahead. There were, I, it was like cool to see. And I think you might've seen some different results for the rest of the podium places, but you know, I'm not sure, but it, 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 I mean, and I think it was, it was really rad to see Sophia Laukley, like win that race outright and get, get the kind of attention that she deserves for that kind of performance. But I was a little bit like, man, like I would have liked to have been able to see the overall race unfold and was curious, um, curious for your thoughts on that. Yeah. And this is the, this is, this is what's so tough, right? Like on a year, I totally agree with you. Like on a year like today, I would have loved to see that chase between like Diggins didn't have all that much time, given that she's so much better than everyone else that finished this women's field, like so much better than Heidi Wang this year. She's so much better than everyone. Like she's in a class by herself, but it would have been fun to see in tough conditions like Diggins having to go out alone. Right. And then, and then Heidi having to do it like chase her solo it could have made for some entertaining television also from the men like from second all the way down like deep deep in the field like Amundsen like you said had locked it up but aside from him it would have been really really fun but that said I've also competed in tours like you said where there's just been massive gaps and there's wave starts and people are winning the final time out of the wave and it's in, and then they're getting yeah there's a podium for them to get a little bit of prize money but it's it, they're not really getting the accolade or dessert. They don't get the the race win feeling that Sophia Lockley got or um, Jules Lapierre got crossing the finish line first with the hands in the air, kind of like conquering the beast. And it's just so hard to to to, to know what how the race will unfold, right? Like and and so Ivan, for example, Babakov, he's won the final climb. My wife has won the final climb as well. Uh, Kristen Stormersteider up uh, Alpshermis, but they did it like in anonymity. I mean, Babs won out of the wave. So like it was a totally different race than the people that were racing for the Tour de Ski overall of that year because they're essentially watching each other and just really wanting to to kind of either secure their overall place or or not, but they're going down the valley. Like let's not forget, like you're going down the valley in a pursuit completely alone in the wind, having to do all the work you're yourself even all the way up the hill maybe yourself or with guys like spread all over the mountain whereas like back in the days ivan could get transported down in a big group and then beast up the climb have a lot of bodies to chase he ends up winning which is fantastic and the guys around him also had great races but then he doesn't get that kind of that hands in the air feeling and he deserves that when he's the best and that's the same for Laukley, back in the days, if she would have competed in the Tour de Ski, she would have never competed for the top three in the overall, as yet, who knows to say in the future, but as now, and, and then she would have won kind of 
So I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, yeah, I miss the pursuit. I really miss the pursuit this year. I can just say it right up. But at the same time, I think it's really, really great to showcase Lapierre wins the tour by skiing away with Mach, who is in the hunt for the second place in the, in the tour, which he ended up finishing second, the young German. But the cost of that is you don't, you don't get that kind of drama for the podium positions because at the end, like you almost have to like have the math going in your head or have a buddy or like following. I was like, did Mark have enough to do it? I mean, Mark did. That was obvious when he finished second on the stage, but Heidi Wang on the women's side of things, like you, you, she only got that second place. She climbed up to second overall, but she, in the end, she had it by like seven seconds over Niskanen and you didn't know. You're like, is it enough? Is this enough? Yeah, they didn't have the graphics on the exactly. screen to tell exactly. you what was going on. Exactly. So for the, women's, for the women's race, you're like, okay, I know that she's not doing enough damage to Diggins, who looked totally fine and was well in control. Um, so Diggins has won the tour, but is this enough for second or is she going to finish fifth? Like it was so tight, right? And in the end, she was second in the overall tour and and, and also second up the climb, but but uh, yeah, no, it's interesting perspective. But on the men's side of things, Lapierre and and Hugo Lapalou, we were talking about trying to get a French one of some of the French guys on just to to talk about it. But what a what what an amazing tour de ski for the French team. It was awesome. Claudel comes third on the stage as well, who's a mountain goat and has been fantastic up the climb previously on the women's side of things. And they really finished the tour with multiple people having podiums, three different winners you know, Lapierre and, and not three different winners, but sorry, three victories with Shanava winning both sprints and then and then Lapierre winning the final climb. Lapalou was right in there for a lot of it. Moch did everything he could. Vermeulen in fourth, fantastic. And then Amundsen in fifth, doing what he needed to do to, to finish this tour off. I, th I also thought like there's some unsung heroes of this tour to ski too. I mean, like Beta Klee incredible right like top finishes the tour well inside the top 10 overall and ends up top 10 up the climb which is just amazing who would have thought that Volnes finish would finish 11th up this thing and him finishing 11th knocks him well off the podium because Dude, the guys passed, are you also passed over 37 year old Maurice Magnificat and I was like I saw him come across the finish line yesterday in 10th and I was like what the I thought he was like retired or dead or whatever I, that was crazy but yeah totally I mean it was it was fun to to and and Jens Berman who like I think you know was barely present at the start of the World Cup season um I also have to go back and mention because I, I didn't I'm sorry but did you see in the in the 15k in Val de Fiam in the men's race there was that epic crash in the oh. like, going into the final climb oh on a downhill but the yeah. the thing that I wanted to highlight was uh did you see the German dude like ski off of you know like a 4 foot precipice onto the uphill track stay on his skis and that that was Lucas Vogel it was you people like go back and watch the yeah, last 2k of that race because yeah. this was like the most epic save ever it was the most epic save ever and uh conversely Jens Berman does like a full scorp modus and gets taken out by Knockler who falls right in front of him and oh man and he's you know his back's messed up too exactly right? I mean <laughs> how many how many more prolapses can that back handle that cannot be good for multiple prolapse back but uh no it was it was it was, it was carnage but that that again coming like swinging back to that 15k it's carnage when you have 50 guys that are all space is so limited and everyone wants the fight to be in that top 
10, top eight for that last 25 second sprint up that final climb to get themselves in position. And it just creates a total nightmare when you have so many people. So it's yeah, impressive that there wasn't, there was, it was impressive there wasn't more, more crashes. Before we talk about the crown jewel of this whole thing for America, which is Sophia Lockley's big win, and then Jesse Diggins securing uh, a second tour de ski title, just running through the the overall tour de ski, uh, Amundsen, just some quick takes. Amundsen, he's the next coming. There was no chinks in his armor this entire tour de ski, and he's such a deserving champion. And what he's been able to do in classic this season is fantastic. What he's been able to do in sprinting is something I never would have guessed. I never would have guessed he would lift himself to be on a podium in a World Cup sprint, honestly. Uh that's outstanding and hats off to him. It's so great for the sport, even if it is a kind of watered down or a little bit tough with people getting sick and blah, blah, blah. But like Frederick Mock, the young German second place paid for, he was fifth in the classic race the day before too. He's really lifted up his level in classic in a huge, huge way from the previous season and finishes on the top of Chermis second overall Hugo Lafalu, also young Frenchman, third place in this one he's a great climber too i thought that was kind of the story for me i thought that was kind of fun because you saw like nianga you saw some like pretty big names donnestan everyone was talking that donnestan was going to be really good up the climb and you know he's coming off multiple podium performances this year and he's kind of the next coming uh, out, of, out of norway and then and yet this year the final climb meant a lot and and you know what mach and lapalu are just way better at climbing than the normal skiers like nianga or or Valnes or Dunnestad, like Valnes falls all the way down to six after having the best climb ever for the big man from Northern Norway. I mean, the guy was 11th up the hill and sorry, bud, uh, the guys that beat you are just better positioned and you fall all the way down to six. Fifth place for Beta Klee too. I think, I think this gets like not getting enough airtime. It's been, it's been a tough go for Switzerland on the distant side of things since the great Dario Colonia stopped. And then, and his peers around him in that time, like Curtin Peril and um, Tony Levers, Raymond Fisher. There was a lot of guys in that era that were meddling or had podiums in in, uh, in distance racing. And, and fifth place overall is fantastic. And then, and then I have to say, like Tony Tony Sear had a kind of tough tour, I'd say, but he was ended up twelfth overall. So high high marks for him. Congratulations, twelfth in the tour is nothing to to be disappointed at that's that's a very high level i was a bit disappointed in scott patterson honestly he ends up 26 in the overall tour and i don't get it i mean scott is it's really fascinating he, he at some of these championships he can really lift his level it's cool i mean the best races of his life have happened at the olympics it's how that that's kind of the dream as an athlete but that said like an event like the tour de ski should really suit scott especially now you know like he's he's 31 years old going on his 32nd year in life. And this is kind of should be an event that suits him well, aside from the sprints, but still, and Zandon, you know, he's young, he's super, super young. I thought he had some okay individual stages. Um, he's going to have to lick his wounds after this one finishing back in 36. But I, I think there was, a, I think there was some, it's been, there's been some serious highlights for, for Zandon. He's part of this next generation of American skiers. So not, not so bad. I think, I think his overall tour result, looks worse than what the performances he's had. And then the big disappointement of the North Americans is like Olivier Levelier. Just, he just can't seem to, to turn this around. And it's been a really, really challenging period one. And, and this tour de ski was a fiasco. I mean, he's 14 minutes back. I mean, 
this was a fiasco for the young Canadian, but, uh, you know, he, he is the second best distance skier we have in Canada and he's a huge talent. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily worried about later on in the season, but, uh, it, it makes you wonder when you have a P one and, and the tour to ski like this, like, should he just focus on trying to learn how to win again or learn how to compete again and go to the under 23s with something to prove he won't do that. And that that's a topic we can rant about later, but uh, I feel like the world cup is uh, beating him up a little bit. So should we move on to the women? Yeah. What, the, well, I, the, the one, the one thing I wanted to really uh, emphasize was the, you, you, you like really brought it up already, but just to hammer it home a little more is the French team. Um, I, I just, I, really loved seeing the I, I think what's cool about them is I just feel like you look at social media and the way those guys all are relating to each other and it feels like that the, the French just seem to have the best team dynamic of anyone on the World Cup right now it's just they're like you look at, at the posts and stuff and the photos like they're all so stoked about everyone else's success and and it seems like anyone's success on that team is like a team success and you just like you can look like so far across the board particularly on the men's side but also on the women's side with like um flora dolce's like had these really good results this year but then on the uh, on the men's side like man just at the at the tour alone you had lapalu who had you know multiple top fives several top tens on the on the tour you had um lapierre winning the final stage you had um you had really breakout result from Remy Bourdain. Um, and so it, it just was like, those guys really seemed like they were are and were firing on, on so many cylinders. Shanova, um, Yules Chapaz, like it, the French team, it just feels like they are set up for 10 years of, of really strong results. And um, I don't know, just like, I think we got to get someone from, from France with some, you know, reputable English on the podcast in, in the next couple of weeks to hear about what's going on there. But yeah, I'd say now we're 100%, 100%. Like, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because, because the other thing too, like the, I thought they were in a bit of a lull a few years ago, honestly, because you had the Jean-Marc Gaillard, you had the Emmanuel Jeunier, you had uh, Vitoz, you had Magnifica at his best, you had uh, Rousselet, you had Perle, you had like a whole bunch of distance guys. You had the, just the whole powerhouse that the French sprint team had been for, a decade plus. I mean, you, you know, you had like guys like Baptiste Gros, you had Shanava, of course, coming up. You have Richard Joux. It was like a whole, like tons of guys. And and I really thought that you were going to have, um, I thought we were in a bit of a lull, but like Lapalou and, and uh, Lapierre and, and some of these younger guys too behind them, like uh, coming up with some great performances, like top 15s in these races. It's it's super exciting. And I think it should be motivating for the for the central european teams and the canadians and americans actually to see that the teams on a shoestring in the distance events where russia and norway on the men's side have just been not just better like it's ridiculous uh they're competing right at the top and i thought that i thought that made it fun i agree with you the tour de ski was fun because of it and and also the excitement from the teams, not just the athletes themselves or a name like Frederick Mach, that's one thing, but we see how much it means to the whole team and seeing those pictures on TV of them celebrating, reading about it, talking with people at the events, 
saying how much it meant to the whole circuit. I mean, it, it is a small family. Cross country skiing international is, is a small family, and it's it was it was a great great tour to ski because of that. Do I wish in a year that you had no world championship, you could have made the tour two stages longer? One hundred percent. Do I wish we could have more iconic stages instead of just kind of like random? you know, 20 Ks on like the same ones we've seen over and over. Like, yes, I do. I really miss that. And I wish we could see that. I know there was some snow problems that created, uh, they were hoping to do something like that in toe block that couldn't get done, but the true to ski needs to be longer. It needs to be way harder and it's been defanged and I'm all for a, a, a kind of defanged, um, a labradoodle of a, a tour to ski on, on a championship year, that's fine. We can all cuddle with the labradoodle and, and, and hope that people want to do that. But when there's no championship, I'd like to see the tour being lifted up again and, and kind of to its older glory. And um, so I miss that. But aside from that, uh, a lot of great storylines. And now, Nat, what happened with the women, the American women in the final climb of this tour to ski? Because this was a huge day for Well, we saw Sophia Laukley, who I think has been on the podium in this uh, in this event before, uh, but just absolutely annihilate the entire women's field. She, you know, Heidi Wang, who's been like a, a winner of this stage before, leading leading out the the climb up the Alps or Mies, which, like, I think just for people who are maybe listening to this and like haven't watched the t- Tour de Ski before, like. I feel like we need to just restate how objectively ridiculous it is that this is the way that this race ends is like, you know, you're Kapol, the, the old school German guy or Swiss guy who was uh, dr- basically dreamed up the tour to ski 20 years ago. They're, it, just like, I'm just imagining these guys, you know, like it, it's like you could do a montage of these like dudes sitting in a conference room in in Swiss Fitz headquarters in Switzerland being like, and then they will ski up the alpine slope and and like whoever thought this was a good idea i mean it is like it's it's this weird spectacle thing that like has no, like literally they're skiing up an alpine ski resort and it's not it's not actually that scenic like we're not talking about like the craggiest alps it's like just kind of this like lumpy like it's like a blue square alpine run that they're skiing down and like it the concept is great when you watch it on TV and you see Jesse Diggins single sticking like granny skating up uh, up this mountain, you're like, hmm. But nonetheless, total like unicorn of a stage. Uh, Sophia Laukley, who's been really leveled up her skiing this year, traditionally strong and skate and we know has been like a powerhouse on the stage before, just completely lights out, drops Heidi Wang, wins wins this race going away and uh Make, makes it look makes it look easy and then you know we also saw jesse diggins hang on to win the overall tour to ski i mean this was the, this was like it doesn't get any better than that for a particularly for a small team to like have one of your women winning you know on top of the podium for the overall tour and another one wins the the time of the day wins the stage like that hats hats off hoods off i'm taking my i'm taking my hood off yeah, and that's what I I totally agree. And this was this was why this was the reason why I'm not didn't go on a 10 minute monologue rant that we get just hate mail filling the inbox for days about the pursuit versus the mass start because it was just a storybook ending for for a for a team that uh, our listeners and myself, even though I'm Canadian, feel very connected with, and that's the American the American team, um, men and women, and 
and luckily deserved the accolades and that feeling of crossing the finish line first after, you know, Heidi Wang made this stage. Like she was so aggressive at the bottom. She went from the bottom. I mean, she tried. She's like, I'm kind of close to Jesse and, and I, I, I am great at this stage. I mean, Heidi's been so great up the Alchemist. She's been top three so many times up that thing. So she's like, I'm, I think I, if I have a chance, I'm going to take it. And she took the chance and luckily was very patient and very confident for such a young athlete without the Palmaire list that, that Heidi Vang has and waited and waited and waited and waited and pounced. And when she pounced, it was, it was over. Uh, and not just parking Heidi Wang, but I mean, she parked Claudel too, man, who won last year. And Claudel is the young French athlete, which is again, uh, I'm just so old that everyone's young, but, but, uh, the French athlete in her prime, let's say, um, fit, rounded up the podium for third and, uh, you know, Sophia Lockley beat her by almost 40 seconds, like 37 seconds ahead of her. It's an incredible performance. A couple other great performances. And this is why I kind of like the women's mass start this year ar around was like, Niskanen, I thought, had just a phenomenal climb to finish fourth, only 39 seconds back off Lugley. I never would have called that, honestly, coming into this thing. And and yet, as great a climb as that was, it wasn't enough to hold on to, to that second place, or not hold on, but to climb up into that second place in the overall and was beat back, like I said earlier in the podcast, by Heidi to, to finish, but still finishing third in the tour to ski, nothing, nothing to frown at that fantastic performance. Well-deserved Niskanen was lights out in classic. And then that final climb was amazing. And I do get finishing fifth. Oh, that was amazing for the young Latvian athlete. That's also out of last nowhere. year winning. Yeah. Cause she's won the under 23 bib. We really sang her praises last season. But we haven't talked a whole lot about her this season. Cause it's been, it's been a challenge. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, like, I think she probably had a lot of high expectations coming into the season. Her training had been going pretty decently. And then she just hadn't been paid for, for the work that she's put in. And, and I mean, fifth and fifth in this one is, is a, is a great performance. And it's nice that she gets to highlight that by, by a standalone instead of just being anonymous in a pack, you know, and then Diggins, like you said, phenomenal sixth, uh, 48 seconds off loudly. If you look through the history books and see, you know, people might expect like, oh, Diggins is just amazing at this final climb, right? Like, no, last year she was amazing at the final climb. She has been amazing at the final climb in previous seasons, but she also has a couple real stink bombs up this thing. And I think this also just shows her level. I mean, she's been under pressure every single day. Everyone's talking about her since day one. Oh, Jesse's going to win the tour before it even starts. Oh, Jesse's won this before. And, 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 Pressure, classic races in horrendous conditions. Oh, well, is this the time we're going to see Jesse just throw it all away like we've seen it before? It's like, no, she's way better. And fighting and even, even letting her technique fall apart and really struggling and grinding and gritty. And this is the stuff legends are made of. And, and Jesse Diggins is one of the, I mean, she's hands down the best North American skier that ever lived. That's, I mean, that is, it feels like almost ridiculous saying that but it's because it's such, it's so obvious. Um, but we are very, very fortunate to be living in, if people that like cross country skiing and follow it, to be living in an era like this. This is like the Michael Jordan of of, of, of North American skiing because the real Michael Jordan is is Mart Bjergen. But um, in the North American context, what she's doing is nothing short of phenomenal. And and I thought that uh, super, super tough up the final climb. And, and like you said, having to coach skate a little bit out there, but whatever, doing what it takes and sixth on the stage, nothing to frown about and a fantastic way to end. And, you know, she had some falls too. Like 
as much as I like to like poke fun at like kind of the finish line antics at times of not just of her, but of many athletes, uh, the, the, uh, she also had some falls and, and like these conditions are tough and, and it's, this wasn't, even though it was written in the sense, almost like biblically that like Jesse was just going to win the tour before it started based on her period one, you know, she had to, she had to overcome, she had to overcome some obstacles and she, and she'd been saying also in the media that like she was battered and bruised a little bit from, from some of these, uh, some of these falls. And then it's a, you're under a huge load to be such a huge favorite. And hats off to Jesse. Wave those American flags proudly. Phenomenal tour to ski, and uh, just just uh, a lot more exciting than maybe I I had seen. Even though the result is not, I mean, it was a foregone conclusion before it started. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the tour this year, watching it, following along, talking with friends that are there, reading all the tabloids in various languages. I thought it was <laughs> talking with you, talking shit with you, uh, hearing the interactions from the emails from people that have been uh giving us their comments it, it, it has been it has been a fun tour but i oh not to be a debbie downer but you know my pipes are frozen i i, I just i i do i want to have the asterisk that like if we want to keep enjoying this as a ski nation or ski ski community we have to take care of a crown jewel like this and man oh man you know 51 50 finishers in the men and 30 in the women like on no championship year man oh man what's this going to be next year what's it going to be in the olympic year? i mean uh, we gotta we gotta revisit this because you know watching biathlon watch oberhof which is like cloudy horrible the worst ski conditions on planet earth and there's like fifty thousand screaming fans everywhere i mean no, we don't. We're not competing in a vacuum. So we, I think, we have to really look long and hard about, especially our crown jewel events as a, a ski community. On that note, the the um the one other item I wanted to contribute before we uh, sign off, maybe for a week, maybe for two weeks, uh, is that I was at Costco the other day. Well, actually, okay, Thanksgiving around Thanksgiving time, like a couple months ago. Uh, I had like a Friendsgiving event and I was at Costco and I saw some low Gruyere cheese and I was like, you know what? I, they sponsor the world cup. I'm going to get that. And I, I bought it. It's like the low Gruyere AOP. Like it comes in this like nice plastic wrap. And I brought it to my friend's place and we like ate it on like baguette, just like, you know, bread and cheese and holy shit, dude, that stuff is good. And, uh, and I am like, wow, I have been, I'm just like the, the marketing, uh, the cheese arch, I, people, I've been posting about this on social media, but I, I wanted to emphasize that the marketing totally worked and I'm now all in for Le Gruyere and maybe we can get them to come on the podcast, but like, wow, dude, that cheese is lit. Strongly suggest that people go to Costco, try it out. Um, for sure. or, or, or just ask or just ask Rosie Brennan or Jesse Diggins for yeah, exactly for Jesse's drowning in cheese and Rosie too but I'm glad you find that I'm actually a little disappointed it's taking you this long Gruyere is like it's totally legit but now you got to lift your game and get out of the Costco Gruyere cave aged buddy go to your fromagerie your little I live in Alaska <laughs> dude no, 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 no there's money in Alaska we talked about this guys flying in to go cross country skiing on PJs and stuff oh yeah you bet your ass you can find cave-aged Gruyere somewhere. And when you do, or when you travel, there's a little pro tip. If you like Gruyere, which of course you do because it's delicious, 
try the cave-aged variant. A little more expensive, but a little bit different flavor profile there. I mean, they know what they're doing there in the French, the French side of Switzerland. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would like to hang out with Jesse and Rosie just to have some Gruyere or the Canadians better step up a bit so they can win some cheese. And so when I'm around them, I can, I can dive in. But I, uh, I tip my hat to all the competitors. Good job, guys. Nat, good job to you. Thanks for the listeners that follow along this flaming bag of garbage we have going on here <laughs> and i hope uh i really appreciate it and um yeah we'll we'll see you up now i guess we're going to Oberhof, eh? we're going to the fog and rain and disaster that is easter not for two weeks though not for two weeks so they're there you know what with some positivity to end this whole thing fists like nat said better television production some fun races night sprints in in davos some fire drone shots now we have a week off after the tour de ski this is this is progress now get back to work and get home and colon back on the schedule because for the love of god you don't skip home and colon like no www.gethomeandcolonbag.com that's not a real website but i mean geez if, if we could just write our senators make it great it, again yeah, exactly. We should just like, what is it? Like, there's that, that podcast you sent me. I can edit this out, but like that podcast you sent me about Besseberg, the, uh, the. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. We didn't, we got, we got to give that a quick. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, and anyway, you know what? We're not going to give it to you now, but we can come, we'll, we'll rally around to this, but like there's a IBU. He was the head of the IBU international Bathlon union for 25 years. And he's the most corrupt piece of hot fucking garbage on earth getting watches for like 200,000 Norwegian hunting trips and massive amounts of prostitutes supplied by the Russians. And now is in a court case, as we speak in Norway saying, I did nothing wrong. I have, it's not being bribed. They just like me and they gave me- It was me just like, among friends. This like, is what friends do for each other is give each other $50,000 watches. Yeah, $80,000 watches and prostitutes, isn't that? I mean, geez, sounds, anyway, we'll leave it there. Thanks for <laughs> listening. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Devin Kershaw Show. We'll be back soon.